0: Talk about the game, Sam. Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson and it is PFF 50 times, Sam. It was revealed on PFF.com. Last week, the best 50 players in the NFL per PFF. It's all there. Your name's next to it, so you can take all the hate.
1: Yeah, except the things I'm blaming you for. What are you blaming me for? I don't know. I'll find some things. We
0: did work on the list together, and we have a very special guest today. It is PFF Top 50 member, actually PFF Top 8 member, Bobby Wagner, linebacker from the Seattle Seahawks, going to be on later in the show.
1: It'll be interesting to see if ranking 8th in the NFL is disrespectful. You know, because the fans think it is always like if you're not number one, you're being disrespected. If you're not first, you're last. Right. So Bobby here is going to be ranked number eight. Let's see how he feels about that.
0: And then uh, don't forget, we announced it last week, but the uh, the charity drive is over. It's been put over the top by someone who should be ranking in the PFF 50. (laughs) It
1: has. I don't want to. I don't want to give his name out because some people don't like that kind of thing. But no, shouldn't. Pretty healthy donation came in. That means we are now over our achieved goal. So at some point in the future, I shall be doing one of these shows dressed up like Minor League Steve with ridiculous facial hair. You just need to bring the assorted crap that I need to dress into.
0: All right. I'm going to gather everything. I'll, I'll gather it all up, and we'll be doing that probably sometime in July. I'll make it one of our preview episodes, whatever yeah, it might Yeah, because be.
1: you have to go back to Massachusetts to get all the crap.
0: Yeah, I think some's here and some is back there. Okay. I have to get the best assortment of uh, equipment. Yeah and uh uniform for you and i have to work on what this line facial hair thing looks like a few weeks you have a few weeks to to get it ready so um thank you for that excited about it and um yeah we'll be doing that at some point so appreciate all of our listeners once again coming through for us yeah absolutely
1: everyone that donated to this there's a giant sum of money on its way to uh The Make A Wish Foundation, Tri-State Make A Wish Foundation. So, thank you to everybody that donated, especially the guy that came in with the monster donation to push push us over the top.
0: All right. So, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to split this into two episodes. PFF Fifty: The Best Players in the NFL Heading into 2021. We're today we're going to talk about the top 25, the guys that made it. We'll talk about the process. We'll have to reiterate the process on both shows just so people remember, and then. We'll have Bobby on to talk about his number 8 ranking, number 1 linebacker on the list. And then later, Thursday's episode, we're going to go through the the bottom half of the top 50, talk about who just missed it, who's going to be a part of the list next year. So, let's start at the top, Sam. Uh, One of the first ever PFF NFL dailies that we did was a simple debate. Who's the best player in the NFL? Aaron Donald or Patrick Mahomes? And they're going to be at the top of the PFF 50. We went with Aaron Donald. Once again, the best player in the NFL heading into 2021, but explain first the process and why this wasn't a slam dunk. Grab the quarterback, grab Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yeah, well, for a start, the PFF 50, the PFF 101, um, these these sort of overall lists that we do typically strip out position value, right? Otherwise, particularly the 50 would be like 25 quarterbacks one after another. Then we would get to players like Aaron Donald. Then we get a few more quarterbacks and then we'd get everybody else. So frankly, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a great list to me. does not. So you strip out position value, you say, look, quarterback obviously is the most important position in the NFL, but it, that doesn't determine how good you are at what you do. So let's rank all these positions as if they're equal. Now look, there's limits to that. There's no fullback on this list. Justin Tucker isn't on the list. We don't really care about kickers and punters. They may be people too, but they're not real football players no disrespect to our friend mr leader Tyke leader who by the way has had the cfl has been calling cfl's interest we have a
0: lot of cfl teams listening we got to get
1: the nfl is obviously the next step we got to get the nfl in there the cfl has been calling about this guy kicker slash punter slash trick shots 60 yard drop goals whatever nfl needs to get on the phone as well anyway no disrespect to those guys but they're not real football players so every other position you know we rank them um and then it's a case of well how do you compare you know a cornerback with a wide receiver with a center with a quarterback and there's no real scientific way of doing that right there's there's a lot of um subjectivity to it but i think one of the biggest ways of doing it is what's the gap between you and the next best guy right how much better are you at what you do than the next guy at your position and to me a a huge amount of sort of just how good you are period is understanding the context of that, and understanding the context of like where your position group is right now compared with you know five, ten years ago. Like, what is the current state of your position in the NFL, and where are you compared with that context?
0: So let's explain because that's the context that puts Aaron Donald at the top, yeah. the best defensive player in the NFL. Uh, just using a three-year sample, the last three years, ninety-six point two grade. And and by the way, the one other thing we need to clarify. At the end of the season, we have put together PFF 101. Mm -hmm. Before the season, we put together PFF 50. The 101 is looking backwards. It's just for the last season, so we have a PFF 101 for the 2020 NFL season only. The PFF 50 is looking forward, so the bigger body of work. When you look at Donald, his three-year grade of 96.2, who's the second-best interior defensive lineman during that time? Chris Jones? Yeah. Kansas City Chiefs? 91.9. The other guys in the running, like Cameron Hayward uh, of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's a 91.6. So we're talking about five grading points between Aaron Donald and that next group, Chris Jones, Cameron Hayward, uh, Grady Jarrett's a 90.9. Fletcher Cox has dropped off for the last couple years. He's a 91.3. So there's all these guys at 91 and then Donald at 96 overall.
1: The easiest way of summing it up is, look, Aaron Donald and Patrick Mahomes right now look like they're both all-time great Hall of Fame caliber players. But Patrick Mahomes wasn't the best quarterback in the NFL last year. Aaron Rodgers was, right? In any given season, there's two or three guys that are right up there with Mahomes. There's nobody in the same level, in the same stratosphere as Aaron Donald and hasn't been since he came into the NFL, essentially, right? He has been at a level completely divorced from anybody else for as long as he's been in the league in a way that just doesn't apply to Mahomes or anybody else at any other position, right? He is just in this other world. And the only player we've ever seen hit similar levels of that was the sort of three, four-year stretch where J.J. Watt was on that kind of plane, right? Before Aaron Donald rolled in, when J.J. Watt was playing in a, in a world by himself, the multiple defensive player of the year, before injury started to bite, and he hasn't been the same player since. But that, I think, pushes Donald above the likes of Mahomes, is that Donald doesn't have a peer. Mahomes does. Like Rodgers on his day is as good as Mahomes, if not better. Tom Brady on his day has been as good as – like there are players in the NFL right now who any of whom can rock up and be as good as Patrick Mahomes, there's nobody that can do what Donald does. Nobody.
0: Yeah, that's pretty rare for even a a quarterback to just be the best player from start to finish every year, year in, year out. I mean, it just doesn't really happen at that position, but we've seen it happen on the defensive line. Uh, with Watt for a, for, for a short period of time and then with Donald, as you're saying. Uh, PFF has partnered with Symbol, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade st- sports teams like stocks, earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol is blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, so you can earn daily cash payouts. And there's still a few NFL stragglers in free agency that might be able to put your team over the top. So be sure to invest wisely. Use the promo code PFF, deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. All right, let's get into Mahomes here. Uh, Over the last three years, the most valuable quarterback in the league. He's had only three years. As a starter, when you're separating Mahomes from Brady and Rogers, obviously age has to be a factor, and just the consistency that Mahomes has played with, uh, 95 overall PFF grade over the last three years—that is the the top number in the league.
1: The most big time throws as well. I think he's tied with Russell Wilson with that number, um, but also you know his play gets better in the playoffs. Like, Mahomes is one of those players where the harder his... except the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, except I mean, the, and that except the two Super Bowls. Well, the first one, like, he was a pretty big part of um, in the fourth quarter. Right, where it mattered. The point I was going to make is that, like, the more it seems to matter, the more Mahomes typically shows up. Um, obviously, you can neutralize that if you absolutely lay waste to his offensive line the way that the Bucks were able to do this Super Bowl. But generally speaking, like, the, the, mo- the more disadvantageous the position that Mahomes finds himself in, the better he ends up playing, whether it's third down, whether it's the playoffs, whether it's uh, the fourth quarter – like, the tougher the situation, the better he is, which is the exact reverse of players like, you know, Kirk Cousins, Ooh. for example. Have to. That being said, I think Kirk Cousins' fourth number, fourth quarter numbers were insane, largely because of, you know, garbage time. But, you know, it, it's a thing, right? That idea of clutch that, that gets thrown around, that there isn't really a, a great definition for whatever the definition is. Tom Brady obviously has had it for 20 years. Mahomes has it too it's interesting
0: because in other sports they try to downplay the value of clutch but i think in football as a quarterback the thing we've talked about a lot is as a quarterback you kind of dictate your situations there there are positions on the field where you don't like aaron donald again as an example doesn't dictate his situation he is placed in a situation uh he's placed at three technique or he's placed at edge and he's placed in a third and ten or a first and ten situation but when you're the quarterback and you are you play to the situation so it's your you have the ability to to decide essentially when do i throw the ball down the field when do i check down when do i take more chances and all that stuff and that's why i think the quarterback the 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 clutch concept in other sports people are like oh you can't control when you hit a home run or you can't control when you you know have a really good pass rush that's true but the quarterback does control that so there is something to it and I do think that's why Brady has been so special throughout his career I just think it's an interesting dynamic when you're comparing quarterbacks to maybe other positions so um, from a quarterback standpoint we went Brady at seven overall and then Aaron Rodgers at 10 trying to separate those guys Rodgers did have a better grade than Brady last year I think it honestly depends on you know how far you want to go back over the last five years Brady's got the highest grade among all quarterbacks just above Rodgers 97 overall back to 2016 he's been the most valuable quarterback in the league by almost four wins over Aaron Rodgers and from a physical standpoint we don't really see Brady dropping off and even last year when his stats were down in 2019 we said there wasn't anything physically different about him so I think until we see that you have to essentially buy in that tom brady is is still
1: it's funny i think brady's like five six years older than rogers and yet you kind of talk about both of them in the same way in terms of like you know neither guy is really showing signs of physical decline yet like they're both in the area now where physical decline should be starting to happen even though there's five six years between them that's how long brady has been kicking father time's ass that rogers is now like there as well and neither one of them is, is showing any signs of physical if, decline.
0: If Rodgers has the same run that Brady's had since he was what 39, he'll get, you know, three three Super Bowl wins yeah. and an MVP and And this is a, why a Super Bowl loss with 33 points all in that, you know, 5-year period from 39 to 43.
1: Which is why like if you're Green Bay and you're thinking about trying to trade him, like you should theoretically still be looking at a giant hall of picks because there's a world where he plays for another five years and like at an MVP caliber level, which is worth a hell of a lot in today's NFL.
0: Yeah. So look, I I think there was a legitimate debate trying to split up uh, Brady and Rogers, but Brady comes in at seven, just looking at quarterbacks and, and Rogers at 10. As I said, the other pretty healthy debate that we had, Sam was how is the next non quarterback off the list. Um, We went Travis Kelsey at three chiefs, tight end Colts guard, Quentin Nelson at four, davante adams wide receiver from the green bay packers at five and then khalil mack edge defender from the bears at six i think kelsey nelson and adams all i think there was points where we were looking through this list and all, all three of them could have been number three on the list and this will be the the theme of this right splitting hairs between yeah. one guy versus the next
1: splitting hairs and also um how you weight the information like in today's NFL, recency bias is everything, right? So there's gonna be players that aren't on this list that were fantastic last year, and everybody's gonna be, well, how can you not have this guy ranked, you know, in the top 50? He was a top 10, 20, 30 player last season. He's not there, that's the last thing we saw. But we know better than that. We know that just because a guy was fantastic last year doesn't mean you're gonna get the same thing next year, particularly when there were some obvious signs that it was kind of an outlier year or bound for regression, but once you've accepted that, it becomes a lot more complicated in terms of well, what does matter? How much do you value a great year two years ago, or a great year three years ago, or you know what sort of what breakdown of those proportions and all those kinds of things? Injuries,
0: so, roles. There's right. a lot of things that come into it. Yeah. So
1: Devonte Adams is a good example. Like this most recent season, Devonte Adams was the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um, he's been arguably the best route running receiver for years everything else in his game kind of came together but this was a career year for him and like a, a significant step forward from what we'd seen in the past so do you assume this is him now like he's now in that julio jones category of the best wide receiver in the nfl from now on until he starts to decline or was this a high watermark does he now does the tide go out a little bit and you start to see more of a Devonte adams from the previous couple of years and this is the same kind of conversation with every one of these guys. You know, Khalil Mack has had a couple of relative down years, but then bounces back a little bit. So do you give Khalil Mack credit for rediscovering his best form? The whole thing is is very difficult when you're talking about splitting hairs between players that are all great.
0: Yeah, and it, but I think part of it is what you said initially on Donald, is when you compare to your peers, uh, comparing Devontae Adams to his peers is more difficult because there are some there's a, there's a slew of really good receivers. We've talked about this for a while. Whether it's the nature of the position or just the way the NFL is going, when you're picking out elite receivers or true number ones, you can go 15 or 20 deep in the NFL. When you talk about tight ends, how many times have we said on the show, There's there's Kelsey Kittle, Waller, and maybe Kyle Pitts now. I mean, that's it as far as tight ends. And then so Kelsey got the nod at three because he was just so incredible last year. Yeah uh it's nice playing with Mahomes certainly but you know Kelsey's ability to just be a mismatch as a receiver remember what he did to Denzel Ward one of the best cover corner one of the best corners in the NFL and just making him look foolish nobody can really cover Travis Kelsey
1: right and the fact that Denzel Ward was on him at all was sort of tells you something about the the state that he had gotten to in terms of teams trying to defend him like teams went through the spectrum of everybody they had on defense to try and find somebody that could actually match up with uh, Travis Kelsey. Like typically, you're not gonna see your number one cover corner match up with a tight end. It just doesn't happen, particularly when your number one cover corner is not built like Jalen Ramsey, you know? Like there's a, there's a you can definitely make the case that hey, Jalen Ramsey is a huge physical specimen of corner he is unusually well-suited to be dealing with a freak receiving tight end. Um, so that makes sense. But for, like Denzel Ward is not built like Jalen Ramsey. Denzel Ward is just the best cover guy that the Browns had, so they gave it a shot. And it, it didn't work any better than any other position. Like Denzel Ward found himself face first in the turf while Travis Kelsey was skiddling into the end zone as if Ward was a linebacker or a safety or any other position. So that's how devastating Kelsey was last year. Teams were a trying to find guys to cover them, including their number one corners, and b failing even when they did try that.
0: Uh, With Kelsey, of course, too, there's been healthy debate between him and George Kittle. Um, I think that's the other the other thing we we even though we're looking forward, you kind of have to factor in here. Kittle has been banged up a little bit. Uh, Kittle is probably a better all around player. Last year at this time, I think we did have Kittle higher on the list because his run blocking plus receiving ability. Uh, just incredible I would say if there's an advantage for Kittle this is going to sound ridiculous right he has Kyle Shanahan well Travis Kelsey of course has Andy Reid but I think the way they're used Kittle is not a knock on Kittle he is more a part of Shanahan's system which does a really good job of creating open throws getting guys open particularly tight ends whereas Kelsey is a mismatch creator that Andy Reid Eric Biennemi the Kansas City Chiefs use and I think that's I think that's one way to separate those guys. So while Kittle gets the advantage from a run-blocking, versatility standpoint, I think the fact that Kittle lines up more outside and in the slot and all over the formation and does invite guys like Denzel Ward to cover him more than a George Kittle does, I think uh, gives Kelsey that slight nod there, especially in, in the way Kelsey peaked last year as a, yeah. as a receiver. I mean, he was I mean, he peaked
1: at the same time as George Kittle had an injury-blighted season, right. which sort of explains them splitting a little bit. But yeah, there is... By the way,
0: came in at ninth, like, yeah. so we weren't knocking him. He came in at ninth.
1: There is, though, a very subtle difference that is – it's difficult to articulate, but it's probably quite important between they both – they're both in an offense that is very good and has one of the best play callers and play designers in the NFL working to get them the ball. The difference between the two is that Kyle Shanahan is very good at creating these plays that – Cause defenses problems and therefore spring a guy open on the back end. So, you know, these wide zone play actions with uh, a bunch of fakes off the back end of it, and then, oh, look, there's a tight end leaking behind it going the other way, who's now wide open 20 yards downfield. Get it to Kittle. Now the guy's got the ball in his hands with space and he can destroy the guy's left remaining and rumble for 50. Um, but The fact that he was 10 yards wide open in the first place is a huge thing that most tight ends don't get to play with. Now, the other end, you've got Travis Kelsey with Andy Reid. Now, he schemed up a a lot as well. Remember, Travis Kelsey is the guy that catches a lot of those uh, shovel screens, you know, those sort of weird plays down in the red zone where it's just a flick from uh, Mahomes to Travis Kelsey, and it's like it's a free Receiving touchdown, essentially, right? All Kelsey had to do is catch the ball, dive into a gap, two yards, boom, receiving touchdown. But the fact he gets essentially—that's all Mahomes, by the way, on those, of course, well-placed shovel passes. So they're great uh, play designs; they're schemed up, but they're sort of designed so that okay, we just get the ball in Travis Kelsey's hands and give him the chance to make a play, as opposed to Kittle. Where the play has already kind of been made by the time he gets to it, and then you're relying on Kittle to like add some add the cherry on top to the play. That's a good because of what he can do.
0: That's a good way of distinguishing it. There is a difference between schemed up, get it in this guy's hands because he's so good. Yes, versus like uh, Shanahan out, Shanahan out schemes the defense. Right? right, he creates open throws by moving defenders not so much putting the ball in i mean he puts it in guys hands to to make to shanahan
1: like shanahan creates a lot of plays where anybody could be on the receiving end and it would be a good play anyway and then kittle gets to add value on top of it because he's a great uh, receiver after the catch of the ball in his hands like he adds a bunch to that particularly and he's you know he's a part of the blocking scheme as well which only enhances it Whereas Andy Reid is really good at figuring out how to maximize the number of times you get the ball in Travis Kelsey's hands, right? Regardless, a normal, a player as good as he is would be taken out of the game more than he is in most offenses. But Reid is really good at uh, neutralizing that and making it really hard for you to take Travis Kelsey out of the game. So there's a sort of, I think they both benefit massively from the offensive system that they're in, but there's a subtle difference in how that, impacts him and I think one leans a little bit more on the skill set of the guy to make it work.
0: I think it's good to discuss the position battles, so to speak. So again, Kelsey at three, Kittle at nine, the fourth overall player on the board, Quinton Nelson. So he's he's interesting when you compare him to Patrick Mahomes, right? Because we said, hey, Mahomes is he's the consensus top quarterback in part because of age and just how good he's been at the beginning of his career. Quinton Nelson's the same. But Quentin Nelson has never actually ranked in a season as the top graded guard and Patrick Mahomes has never ranked as the top graded quarterback in any of his three seasons even his MVP caliber season Drew Brees graded higher than him but Mahomes was the most valuable receiver uh, quarterback that year but even over the last couple years Mahomes has not had the number one ranking but it's when you take that body of work we have three full seasons of Mahomes as starter we have three seasons of Quentin Nelson in the NFL an 81.6 grade as a rookie which is exceptional for a guard a 91.2 grade in 2019 and 87.5 grade in 2020. We haven't seen that level of consistency from a guard. And then I think at tackle, it's maybe just Joe Thomas You know, through, the P- through PFF history that have just that offensive linemen that have graded that well that early in their career. So Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin, I think, are the two guys kind of battling for that top spot at guard. And Quentin Nelson gets the nod from us based off that, those first three seasons.
1: Yeah, and Nelson was second in that. 2019 season where he had the 91 grade it was just yeah right. i'm
0: not, not i'm just saying he's been like second or third right, right. the last couple of years but he just hasn't had that number one ranking even though he's the best guard in the nfl total body of work wise
1: yeah and certainly when you look at like the guys that have popped up and had that number one great like brandon brooks then blew out his achilles or whatever it was he he went down with um plus he's getting up in years yeah i think nelson is the clear obvious answer and <laughs> zach martin is is right behind him as the one guy who hasn't really suffered any kind of drop-off on that Dallas offensive line. Everything else has kind of crumbled around him. Zach Martin even had to kick out the right tackle for a couple of games last season held up pretty well until he eventually got injured and went down as well.
0: Both guys, hashtag fun to watch. Keep an eye on that one, fun to watch. Um, but Quentin Nelson absolutely destroys people in the run game. Uh, zone blocking has the quicks to do it all. Pass protection Really smooth, even against some of the better interior defensive linemen. There's a whole highlight reel of Quinton Nelson just destroying people, as you know, uh, you know, essentially uh, helping uh, in in pass protection. Not even when he's one on one, he's just got a good feel for it. And as you like to always say, Quinton Nelson's, you know, he's been destined to be a first round guard since we first saw him as a redshirt freshman at Notre Dame. Um, So having him at three, I'm sorry, at four, makes a lot of sense. Zach Martin at thirteen. He's also
1: got the smarts and awareness that some other players don't have. Like there's right. there's multiple plays where he picks up a guy that shouldn't be anything to do with him. You know, yeah, right. a late rusher on the blitz that's going to kill the quarterback and Nelson is able to see it coming, know that he can sort of bail from his original guy and just torpedo this dude, take him out of the play just by the quarterback A enough time to get rid of the ball and B, you know, buy him life for the next play in a way that like those are plays that they're really small things in terms of there's maybe like two of them a year um but each one of those is a play that could potentially destroy your quarterback and that most players aren't even making and not only that but you're not criticizing them for not making them right like you're not supposed to make that play it's not a play that you're not even going to notice if insert random guard here doesn't make that play like Joe Tooney doesn't make that play, doesn't even think about making that play, and nobody criticizes him for it. He's not supposed to make the play. The fact that Nelson sees that and is able to make that play is like a different level of awareness and and sort of ability and processing that may be unique to him at that position in today's NFL.
0: Uh, One other way to quantify it too, as far as Nelson goes, I I did that little uh, pre-free agency study on the Colts, right? What do they do? Do they move Quentin Nelson to left tackle or keep him at left guard? And when you go through uh, how many wins you're going to add to your team, it it took if you were going to move Nelson to left tackle, he's so good at guard. It was going to take essentially a really really good replacement guard, uh, or it's going to take a really good tackle as they lose Anthony Costanzo. Um, to, just, to just like break even with what Quentin Nelson plus Anthony Costanzo brought to the table. So it was, it was really difficult to justify moving Quentin Nelson because you've got him locked in essentially as the most valuable guard in the league. And when you are that much better, again, comparing to your peers, when you are that much better, there's that level of comfort that is extremely valuable when you're projecting players going forward. Um, it's too bad Quentin Nelson can't earn fantasy points for you. But if you like fantasy football... And if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdogs get everything, including season-long and playoff. Best ball ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using the promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. It's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. All right, so Nelson at 4. Zach Martin at 13 when he's splitting up the guards. We mentioned Devontae Adams at five. Can we just celebrate Khalil Mack, number six on the list, Mm -hmm. for a couple minutes here? Like you said, it it feels like, and again, sack-wise, nine sacks by our numbers in 2019, 10 last year in 2020. Nothing breathtaking when it comes to Khalil Mack. But he had, uh, even just his pressure totals last year, 59. It was actually the lowest we've seen from him since his rookie season. But he had a number of those quick wins, those You know, quick win that does not lead to a pressure. So that's all being quantified. uh, Even though he wasn't getting to the quarterback as much last year, he's also been as a lead of a run defender as we've seen on the edge. And I, I think the biggest compliment for Khalil Mack is remember when Von Miller came out, and every year you'd have a prospect compared to Von Miller, and it's like, come on, guys, Von Miller is good at everything. Stop comparing people to Von Miller. Stop comparing people to J.J. Watt. Well, Khalil Mack has essentially earned that Von Miller. Comp through the years, and him and Vaughn were just neck and neck when it came to grading. Vaughn's battled injuries and a, a not so great 2019 season. So Mac has vaulted above him and is now, I, I think, that top edge with you know TJ Watt and a few other guys maybe uh, on his
1: heels. Yeah. So over the last five years, um, last season 2020 was the lowest number of total pressures that Khalil Mack has had, even if you include. Uh, plays nullified by uh, penalty but it's the second best win percentage of his career because he had 45 of those 45 of the all right so those are the ones that are those quick plays yeah. that don't get to become pressure which is like 20 more than any other season in the last five years by him
0: and just and, and so those are plays where he could absolutely whoop somebody and then there's either a it could be the quentin nelson double team someone else is coming to pick him up right so Khalil Mack's essentially doing his job in drawing a double team mm-hmm. based off the win, or the pass is just getting 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 out quick. Yeah, just I mean, a the, best are,
1: the best examples are like, look, the quarterback is working the other side of the field, you know, it, so Khalil Mack whoops the left tackle, is bearing down on the quarterback, but the quarterback's working the right side of the field, and the pass is open, so the ball's out before Mack gets a chance to hit the quarterback, And because the quarterback was working the other side of the field, he never even knew it was coming. So it's not pressure, right? You can't credit Mack for a pressure on the play because the quarterback was never under pressure. He had no idea that he was a second from death by Khalil Mack bearing down from behind him. But it's a clear pass rush win for Khalil Mack versus the left tackle. So we have these these play types that we're able to credit him for that pass rush win without putting it down as a pressure that skews other numbers in terms of quarterback performance and those kinds of things
0: let's stick with this position theme then so with edge defenders we have khalil mack at six tj watt the next edge off the board in our in the pff 50 at 11 uh and then we've got where am i going it was uh joey bosa he's not from the san francisco i typed in san francisco 49ers next to his name what an idiot mistake joey bosa not nick um and then uh, he's at 21 and then miles garrett at 25 so hey, what
1: else DeAndre Hopkins doesn't play for the Houston Texans either no no
0: he doesn't well I did a bad job here hmm. Yeah, fix that for me in our little spreadsheet here um, so there'll be other edges off the board Nick Bosa came into 27 by the way this is all over at pff.com it was revealed all last week on the website your thoughts on those edges going forward TJ Watt has really emerged these last couple of years Joey Bosa just like separating him from nick bosa has been difficult but nick's injury last year you know and joey's consistency has been incredible and then miles garrett you know he's another von miller type you know he has, he's lived up to that hype so it's a high-end edge rushers around the league it's, it's a good time for that position
1: yeah i mean tj watt is the other guy i think up there with khalil Mack in terms of very real argument to say he's the best edge edge defender in the nfl not just edge rusher uh, back-to-back seasons with a PFF grade above 91, which is pretty crazy. Last year, he had a, a run defense grade of 90 as well. He's got three interceptions over the past couple of years, right? There's a play where he, you know, read a quick pass by Daniel Jones and got his way in, underneath it. Like, like edge rushers aren't supposed to do that, but
0: Tony Brackens used to do that all the time. Of course,
1: though. yeah. It's the it's the Steelers' defensive scheme, so he has to drop into coverage a little bit more than those guys, or at least be more aware of that type of pass than those other guys he's got what 115 or so coverage snaps over the past couple of seasons for the Steelers
0: and, and credit the Steelers though because they've cut down on that number early in his career he dropped into coverage a lot more they've cut down on that number we've seen Watts production
1: rise quite a yeah, bit as gone far from as 185 131 and then 50 60
0: yeah but even like when he does drop into coverage he's pretty solid at it. I mean you don't have massive responsibility when you do you play curl flat you play this the short little zone keep the ball in front of you uh but he's even solid at that and that you know because he does drop a little bit more than some of these other guys it could potentially hurt his uh pass rush production but ask jj he thinks tj is the best edge in the in the league
1: uh, well of course he does jj's,
0: yeah. JJ's a big fan of tj
1: yes the the watts i think are very good at bigging up the other watts
0: yeah so T.J. Watt, yeah, he's emerged. He's been fantastic. Uh, Miles Garrett has continued to improve. So again, Miles Garrett's at 25. Uh, and, then, and then again, Joey Bosa at, at 21. When you talk about those guys, they are the classic examples of dominated in college, dominated in the NFL. I mean, if you look at Joey Bosa's career, he's got one anomaly, 2018, only played 427 snaps, had a 71 grade. But other than that, it's 86, 88, 89. And then last year was actually Joey Bosa's highest grade in his career 90.2 overall Uh, excellent run defender really good pass rusher how many times have we said don't necessarily look at the sack totals only eight by our numbers last year but 61 total pressures and this was all only on 350 rushes last year a lot of other guys like Watt had over 530 so you give Joey Bosa another 150 180 pass rushes and you know you see that production go up Joey Bosa has been really consistent
1: yeah and he also has that I think there's a a little bit of a boost to him in terms of the versatility he has to play as a true edge rusher versus a guy that can kick inside a little bit and be more of a kind of interior three four N type of player um Joey Bosa has incredible cons- uh, consistency and versatility that some of these other guys don't necessarily have he's just good at everything
0: I think when you're listing these guys though I don't want to say I don't want to say splitting hairs again but If any of these guys are the top-edge defender this year, are you surprised? No. Throw in in Nick Bosa.
1: Miles Garrett's a great example. Like, Miles Garrett has now had two seasons of pass-rushing grades above 90. Now, okay, one of them was only half a year because he brained Mason Rudolph with his helmet and missed half the season. But he's had back-to-back years with, like, a 90-plus grade, and it still still feels like there's more to come for Miles Garrett. It still feels like there's a better year from Miles Garrett to come, like he was ninety grade last season, and what you know got COVID, wasn't quite the same guy for a period of the season. Missed half the year of the year before with suspension. It feels like Miles Garrett is just sort of on the brink of putting together a season that would be like one of the best we've seen amongst edge rushers since we've been grading things, but hasn't quite got there yet. So he still needs to like jump over guys like T.J. Watt and Khalil Mack that have been at that level. Even the the Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa, we've still only seen one year from. We've already seen rookie Nick Bosa and it was good enough to be ranked in this conversation. Like that guy broke the rookie record for total pressures in a season. Didn't just break it, like shattered it. The previous total, I think, was sixty two by Alden Smith. So he's like eighteen higher than the best we've ever seen and was still like motoring by the Super Bowl. Like he had twelve pressures in the Super Bowl. So he was playing the best football like you know we talk about the rookie wall players typically like fall off in December or certainly January Nick Bosa was like (laughs) cranking it up by the time the Super Bowl rolled around yeah so he's another one just like Kittle of the
0: Niners probably gets dropped a little bit because you know you you let some other guys pass you the injury factor but again if Bosa ends up a top Nick Bosa ends up as a top 10 player on this list a year from now that wouldn't be surprising he's at 27 but we'll talk about him later in the week so edge defender has a, a bunch of representation in that top 25. Uh, Bobby Wagner, again who we mentioned, will be on in a little bit. Bobby Wagner at 8 overall, the best linebacker in the league. It was there was a while it was just Bobby Wagner and it was Luke Keekley. Uh, there's a debate about Fred Warner maybe from the San Francisco 49ers coming off of an incredible year there, but we have Warner at 20, but Bobby Wagner holds holds the crown as the top linebacker in the league, 8th overall on this list.
1: Yeah, and I think he's this is a good example where just body of work and sample size and all those kinds of things just stand in his favor. Um, Fred Warner was fantastic last season, looks like one of the best, arguably the best coverage linebacker in the NFL, but he just doesn't have the, the, just the body of work that Bobby Wagner has, who has been one or two or three in terms of the best linebacker in the NFL, basically for his entire career. And the guys he's been vying with have been Luke Kuechly, who was, you know, an all-time great, levante david who's right up there as well that's the kind of category that bobby wagner has been in and like the job around him has been getting harder and harder over the years because the rest of that defense has been sort of deteriorating and disintegrating so for wagner to still be as good as he is despite not having the rest of that legion of boom defense around him now i think again only enhances his case we've talked a
0: million times and we're going to talk to him about how difficult it is to play linebacker in the league uh, but it, it's also difficult to just be good at everything a linebacker is asked to do. Yeah, and, and using PFF grades, the three facets of play, run defense, coverage, and then pass rushing. And that's where Wagner, because of a lack of pass rush in Seattle the last couple of years, has been asked to blitz a lot more. There were games where he blitzed 20 times. So the last couple of years, 91 times, 110 times, that's not common. That's a big jump, almost double. Uh, what he had done in previous seasons just from a pass rushing standpoint and he's graded in the 80s both times so he's always graded well as a run defender graded well as a coverage player graded well as a pass rusher uh, that level of consistency that Bobby Wagner brings to the table certainly puts him at the top uh, much like what Luke Keekley did for the Carolina Panthers when he was healthy I think those guys are clearly the top two guys of the last decade when it comes to linebacker play Yep. Yeah. Um, we've talked about Kittle Rodgers TJ Watt, the only running back in the top 25, right, is Derrick Henry. Uh, we've got a couple other running backs who make it in the second half of the top 50, but Derrick Henry continues to buck that trend, right? I mean, you expect some regression. You expect, you know, there's there an offensive line overhaul last year in Tennessee. They they, they were a good run-blocking team, don't get me wrong. They, they still put him into a pretty good position. But he's averaging over four yards per attempt after contact. Yeah. After contact, there were running backs around the league averaging just 3.9 yards per attempt overall, and Derrick Henry's averaging four after contact per rush over the last couple
1: of years. Yeah, I mean, it's regardless of how important you think running backs are, it's very difficult to argue with the kind of production that Derrick Henry has put up, particularly because like, the Titans have not had the clear best run blocking offensive line in the NFL for the last two years, which would, exp- you know, you could explain some of that away if you were looking at that and saying yeah yeah of course he's got great numbers look at the line he's running behind like this was a little bit of the Ezekiel Elliott thing for a while yeah of course Zeke's doing really well and looks great look at that Dallas offensive line like Henry hasn't had that the Titans offensive line has been good it's not like it's been a problem or holding him back or something he's had to fight against but it hasn't it doesn't explain his numbers so at some point you have to look at Henry's production and say okay that's just pretty crazy
0: yeah I mean that was that was Marshawn Lynch right throughout much of his his run with Seattle where you would separate him from the offensive line and say okay Marshawn Lynch is doing a lot of the work here that's absolutely the difference between like Zeke Elliott and uh, Todd Gurley when he was on a roll you could I mean Todd Gurley's career has gone directly proportional to what his offensive line has done Zeke isn't that extreme but as a one cut runner that needs a little bit of space you know Zeke does depend on that offensive line Henry is the guy uh, who not only is able to create after contact, much like a Nick Chubb, I think they're similar as runners, uh, Brown's running back, but Henry definitely has those games where he takes over, too. I mean, he's got those freak runs late. There's something to his durability. There's something to his, uh, you know, we we always joked about the body blows thing and his ability, but there is something about trying to tackle this 250-pound monster who stays fresh in the fourth quarter and has that breakaway speed as well, so I think that's what has uh, has separated Henry as a runner these last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's a, if it's a case of like it wears down a defense, and you know, in the fourth quarter is where the body blows start to have an impact. I think it's just when you you're dealing with a guy that's that size and 250 pounds, you can't you're not going to bat a thousand in terms of tackling him and in terms of stopping those big plays. So eventually, they're going to happen, and if they happen in the fourth quarter it becomes remembered and it's definitive and it's you know it becomes that hey look the body blows finally started to take but those probably happen in the first quarter just as often and you just don't notice it or they're not remembered as much because it didn't it didn't change it didn't sway the outcome of the game with eight minutes to go in the first quarter it swayed the outcome of the game when it happens with four minutes left in the entire game and that puts the titans up in a lead they didn't relinquish you know what i mean it's just a sort of situational thing i think
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember him. I remember him stiff-arming Earl Thomas in a playoff game and running 68 yards. Not just stiff-arming
1: him, using Earl Thomas as his own lead blocker. Like, he got him turned around and was, like, using it. It was like, uh, you know, Nelson and the Simpsons where he, like, picks up Bart and is, like, literally using him to fend off the other kids. That's what Derrick Henry did to Earl Thomas.
0: That deserves merit in the PFF 50. That's why Henry comes in at number 12. Uh, let's talk cornerback here. Jair Alexander is the top cornerback on the list at 14. Jalen Ramsey, though, is a couple spots behind at 16. Uh, there was a point in the NFL where, you know, again, years ago, because you know we're old here. We've been at PFF over 10 years each year. We were sitting here debating Darrell Revis, Richard Sherman, guys who did. And they were the clear top two corners in the NFL for quite a while. They're still debating it on Twitter, right? They still are attacking each other but they both played different games, right? They you know, Darrell Revis played man and Sherman played that off cover 3 with a little bit of press here and there. It is tough right now, I think the last couple of years to say who are the definitive top cornerbacks because coming into last year it had been Stefan Gilmore and he he had an average season last year, below average season really and dropped completely off the PFF50. And so now Jair Alexander was a top-rated corner last year, top grade but Jalen Ramsey is asked to do some different things with the Rams. I don't think he was as good as the perception was, uh, was uh, because you talked. We've talked about like hidden plays. Ramsey got whooped by DK Metcalf a couple times where there was just overthrows that just don't show up in the stats. But I think there's a healthy debate between Jerry Alexander and Jalen Ramsey.
1: I think Jalen Ramsey is so. You know, if your analogy it was Sherman versus Revis, I think Jalen Ramsey is the Patrick Peterson of that equation which is okay. a guy whose job is definitely harder than almost any other cornerback in the NFL in terms of responsibility, in terms of assignments. What they ask him to do is more difficult than anybody else. So you need to credit him with that beyond the grade, right? So Jalen Ramsey's PFF grade last year was in the 70s. It wasn't right up there with Jair, you know, 90 uh, plus or wherever he was. Uh, sorry, 70s was, was 2019. Um, it was, where was he this year? Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, still the 70s, 79.8, almost 80. So it's it's a step behind the Jair Alexanders of the world with with a 90-plus grade, Um, but he he had a harder job. Uh, Like, undisputed fact that Jalen Ramsey's gig last year was harder than Jair Alexanders. But there's always a bit as well where, okay, we're a little bit lower than the perception because of that difficulty in his job uh, his job description. On the other hand, the perception's a little bit off as well because you're not remembering all these plays that we're factoring in. So I think it, exactly like Patrick Peterson, the truth is somewhere in the middle between raw overall PFF grade and like the hype machine, which is like, oh, Patrick Peterson is every bit as good as Richard Sherman. I don't think Patrick Peterson was ever as good as Richard Sherman, to be honest, but I will absolutely admit that Patrick Peterson had a harder job or had a more difficult assignment most of the time than Richard Sherman did
0: and you're earning that assignment because you're really really good right you're not getting it because
1: you suck right it's a you're getting the more difficult assignment for a reason which is why you have to sort of credit him back for that
0: using PFF war wins above replacement Jair Jair Alexander has been the most valuable corner in the league over the last three years so um what he's brought to the table now he's going to be playing I think this will be interesting as well. He's going to be playing in the same scheme that Jalen Ramsey played last year. They're bringing the Brandon Staley scheme that's going across the NFL, right? That Fangio tree. We'll call it the Fangio tree. Fangio to Brandon Staley now. Elements of that are going to Green Bay. We saw Jalen Ramsey move around a little bit. Ramsey is an excellent zone defender too, right? I mean, he had all those skills at Florida State. He was a safety initially at Florida State, played in the slot there, and played outside. So he's got zone skills in a press man body they're talking about Jalen Ramsey so the Rams tapped into that a little bit in a zone heavy scheme where certain times he'd line up in the slot they play zone he'd line up outside they play they did it all I want to see how they how the Packers deployed Jair not the same body type not the same physicality but a good all-around skill set Jair's ball skills are really good he could play man he could play zone he could do it all could be a nice season for jr or just have a lot more on his plate in general with the way green bay plays defense
1: should we uh should we add to this we like go a step further in professionalism and give a little rundown of the, the 50 so far what, yeah, they call- yeah, yeah. We'll what do they call a reset it. is that what they call it a little reset All Right. aaron donald patrick mahomes travis kelsey Quentin nelson Devonte adams top five khalil mack tom brady bobby wagner friend of the show upcoming hopefully uh george kittle and aaron Rodgers, your top 10 T.J. Watt, Derek Henry, Zach Martin, Jair Alexander, David Bakhtiari, the guy we haven't mentioned yet in the top. That's your top 15. And then we're on to Jalen Ramsey at 16.
0: Great. That was a good, good rundown. Right. Uh, so, that, so that's our corner. pros do that. That's yeah, how that, they do it. That's very well done. We're just scratching the surface of professionalism for the fourth straight year. Um, so those are the, the two corners that make the top 25. Let's talk Bakhtiari at 15. Uh, again, this is why PFF exists to highlight people like David Bakhtiari to say, "Hey, look, this is the best pass protecting tackle in the NFL right now."
1: And Does he appreciate it? Does he? I don't think so. Probably. Certainly not. not enough. I mean, look, Joe Thomas
0: did. He did. Joe did. Still does. Friend of the show.
1: Yeah. I mean, we helped.
0: We helped Joe Thomas's uh, Hall of Fame case.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're we're what pushes Joe Thomas's Hall of Fame credentials. Well, think over about the, edge. the
0: difference, right? So Joe Thomas is a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. Yes. Off of perception, okay. but then you can always just go to PFF and say, "Look, we've been around. We've been you know graded since case. '06." So yeah, and he started in 07. We have his entire career graded. You can at least confirm that. I, now wait. Marquise Pouncy <laughs> is also
1: potentially surefire a Hall slam
0: dunk surefire Hall of Famer, and you might be able to go check his PFF grades and say, "Okay, wait a second. Yeah, Let's, second thought here."
1: Look, I, sorry, Marquise. I think so. Both. Oh, I think both those players essentially highlight that we don't matter in those discussions to that extent joe thomas is going to the hall of fame whether pff was around or not marquise pansy is going to the hall of fame despite pff being around and pointing out the idiocy of that candidate um candidacy uh the player i think that we might have actually moved the needle on eventually when it rolls around to that is andrew whitworth
0: oh i thought you were gonna say marshall yanda
1: no but yanda but, might be a good but he's one another well. one yeah so whitworth in particular i mean this was a dude who was what a mid-round pick Am I remembering that right? Was he a third round guy or something? find out. Mid-round pick. Drafted as a guard because people didn't think that he had the footwork and the, the skills, the quickness to play outside a tackle. Second round. Second round. 2006. Um Started off a guard, got moved out to tackle. Remember, the Bengals had that great pair of tackles, Willie Anderson and whoever the other guy was, that whose name has escaped me right now. Anthony Munoz. No, no. but they had a, a great pair of tackles. So Whitworth started off a guard, moved out to tackle, and then lo and behold, turns out he's amazing at tackle anyway. And but didn't have like the jump start that Joe Thomas had in terms of. We know he's going to be amazing, so as soon as we see it, it's confirmation and we're done. Whitworth had to like earn this respect as being one of the best tackles in the NFL.
0: Yeah, Whitworth's been fantastic. Marshall Yonda has been fantastic. Maybe we will help there. Um, but I like to think we've helped David Bakhtiari. He has been the best pass-protecting tackle in the league, so we're respecting that by putting him at number 15. Um, I think there's a healthy wide receiver debate as well, Sam. DeAndre Hopkins at 17, Tyreek Hill at 18, and there's a whole bunch that end up in the second half of the PFF 50. Uh, did we get that right? Devontae Adams, DeAndre
1: Hopkins, and Tyree Kill. Of course we did, because 25. that's the list we did. Of course um, we did. Levi Jones, by the way, the other Bengals. Ah, uh, Levi, yes. Uh, yeah, t- wide receiver is a really tough position to to rank um, because you, look, you can go pretty deep in terms of wide receivers and get a guy who, again, any given year could easily be the number one wide receiver in the NFL. Like Devontae Adams took the jump last year from – the rest of this group to being the number one guy julio jones for years has been the number one wide receiver in the nfl took like a step back with injuries who knows where he'll be deandre hopkins has been the best receiver in the nfl tyreek hill is i think the most dangerous receiver in the nfl in terms of any given play he can torch you for a touchdown alan robinson has been a, a top 10 top five guy despite never having a quarterback like what happens if justin fields is incredible and suddenly Allen robinson looks like the best receiver in the nfl because he's finally got a guy that can get him the ball somewhere in the vicinity of where he is
0: we'll talk on thursday too are we too harsh on julio jones yeah. After one down year and some injuries. And look, Are we too harsh on these injury injured guys?
1: A.J. Brown is suddenly going to have a season where Julio Jones is on the other side of him and doesn't have to deal with coverage being rolled in his direction and all those kinds of things. A.J. Brown, as incredible as he's been in his first couple of years, could be even better year three. Michael Thomas is fairly low down the list because... You know he had a down year and, and injuries and all those kinds of things. Michael Thomas has been one of the best receivers in the NFL.
0: Yeah, I think when you're looking at Devontae being the top guy, I mean he was just uncoverable in the red zone. I mean he's uncoverable everywhere. But I mean a touchdown making machine last year. There were points in Adams' career where it's like the other team knows he's going to get peppered with targets. The Packers' complimentary receivers they're better than they seemed a year ago, but maybe elevated a little bit by Aaron Rodgers, but Devontae Adams has been that guy. Deandre Hopkins has gone through uh, a few years of that, essentially with Houston when Will Fuller was out there fine. But there was a lot of times Will Fuller wasn't out there yep. and you just go right to Deandre Hopkins. And I think it's that, that multiple year, multiple years of production for Hopkins that put him as wide receiver two on this list, 17 overall. I could see a change in of the guard a little bit as they, you know, as, as Hopkins and some other guys get older. Uh, I still think, as far as the skill set I want on my team more than anyone else, it's Tyreek Hill. You know, your point about if you just made him a straight up slot receiver all the time, or you just made him a deep threat, you he could, could do it all and and produce incredibly. And it, you know nobody nobody has to be accounted for more than Tyreek Hill. You can't leave him. You literally can't leave him one on one. Not because it's going to be a first down, but because it'll be a touchdown. Um, so Tyreek Hill is the third wide receiver on this list, but still the, my pick for the guy I want to start my receiving core with.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I, I just think wide receiver is such a, a tricky position to rank because uh, because of how much it fluctuates year to year and because of how good all of those guys
0: are. So Hopkins is at 17. Tyreek Hill is at 18. Uh, at 19, Chris Jones, Tyreek Hill's teammate, Kansas City Chiefs. He's the second interior defensive lineman on this list. Uh, the third one's going to be Cameron Hayward coming in at 31. We'll talk about him on Thursday, but Chris Jones has become that guy, right? With the The... The annual debate. Hayward's still in that debate. I think Fletcher Cox has dropped off the annual debate. Who's the next guy behind Aaron Donald? But Chris Jones has been incredibly consistent these last three years.
1: Yeah. And I think the fact that he's ranked 19th is like he, he might be hard done by there because he gets stung with the context of like Aaron Donald, right? Aaron Donald out on this, like world. you have to separate the two. Yeah. Well, so. The, the gap between Aaron Donald and the rest of the players at his position is one of the things that ranks Aaron Donald number one on the list and ahead of the likes of Patrick Mahomes and anybody else that's the clear best player at their position. Um, but it probably also means we underrate how good a player like Chris Jones or Cameron Hayward are because if you take Aaron Donald out of the league, those guys are dominant interior forces that are good at everything and you know, would be the best player at their position. Like the, the difference between Chris Jones and Devonta Adams say, is it is it a big one? You know, if you if you eliminate Aaron Donald as the, the context we're talking about here. No, it's not. Like Chris Jones in any other period of the NFL would be held up as a perfectly acceptable best interior, like best defensive tackle in the league, right? If you went to 2004 and said, Chris Jones is there, he's your best, he's the best defensive tackle in football. You wouldn't be it wouldn't look ridiculous like that would be entirely acceptable so we probably ding him a little bit too much and not just him but the likes of cameron hayward et cetera, because they get constantly compared to aaron donald and that's just harsh to anybody oh,
0: Don, donald's skewing everything for us but you
1: know, jones comes in at 19 we mentioned
0: fred warner linebacker coming in at 20 uh he he's really he's become that athletic middle linebacker that, that can do it all. And I think he had showed flashes early in his career, but Warner took a big step forward last year. The, the Production started to match what he's capable of. Um, and again, in, in a league where good linebacker play is tough to come by, Fred Warner looks like he could be the guy that becomes the next Bobby Wagner that we're annually talking about as maybe the best linebacker in the league.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Fred Warner, the only thing keeping him this low on the list, I think, is sample size and making sure that he backs it up next year. And it's not just that one year of a new high watermark for his play. The,
0: the difference between Warner and, say, Bobby Wagner or Luke Kuechly has always been the missed tackles, though. Warner had 16 as a rookie, uh, 22 in his second year in 2019. This includes the playoffs. And then he did cut it down to 10 last year. He's had a lot of attempts during that time, but those are the things like Wagner has, has had seasons where he's had three and one, yeah. right? And, and Keekly's had single digit missed tackle seasons, if I recall. Let me double check. But uh, Warner definitely a lot higher than some of those other top linebackers through the years.
1: Yeah, which probably makes sense just in terms of where he's come from. You know, that overhang college position where you're out in space, you're dealing with lighter, smaller players, you're not having to make these consistent tackles in the box against, you know, running backs. With a head of steam coming at you the whole way,
0: yeah. Keekley's seven uh, eight year career was it seventy eight t- total missed tackles. Uh, Warner has forty eight in three seasons. Just for perspective, again, how good Luke Keekley's been. Yeah, uh, uh,
1: Bobby Wagner has seventy six since twenty twelve. He yes. has only three seasons with double digit missed tackles.
0: Right. So that's that's one of those differences. That's but including Warner,
1: the playoffs for
0: Wagner. Warner's one of those few guys that can handle you know single coverage against tight ends get in depth in zone, doing a lot of those difficult things linebackers have to do. Uh, let's wrap up this this top 25. We mentioned Joey Bosa at 21. Russell Wilson's at 22. Justin Simmons, a safety from the Broncos, at 23. Trent Williams, offensive tackle from the San Francisco 49ers at 24. And we had mentioned Miles Garrett, edge defender from the Browns, coming in at 25. Let's break down that 22-25 to 25 group, starting with Wilson. Russell Wilson's now the fourth quarterback on the list, coming in at 22, he'd be in the top 10 if he didn't have that second half collapse last year
1: way in the top 10 i mean he would be right up there with mahomes that's the thing russell wilson has probably been harmed by a stretch of play more than anybody else on this list um because that kind of collapse might be too strong a word but the relative downswing of his production and and play over the second half of the season was massive compared with where he'd been for what two and a half years Prior to that, like you could make a case that Russell Wilson, over those two and a half years, was the best quarterback in the NFL, better than Mahomes, better than Rodgers, better than Brady, but the decline and it was so alarming and steep and, and immediate and like concerning that it sort of it shakes like the entire foundations of how good you think Russell Wilson is. Like obviously he's still amazing, he's still a great quarterback, but now... Can you honestly hold him up alongside the likes of Mahomes and say, yeah, they're the same?
0: We have plenty of time to talk about this before the season as we get into previews and all that stuff. But Pete Carroll's already talked about the difference in the offense uh, with Shane Waldron coming over from the Los Angeles Rams. He said the two big differences are tempo, which, okay, they're going to move faster, tempo, <laughs> um, but also getting rid of the ball quicker. Is this, is this the year? So is this going to be good or bad for Russell Wilson? I think there's an argument argument to be made that even though Brian Schottenheimer Uh, was not exactly loved by the analytics community. He ran the ball too much and and all that stuff. They still played to Russell Wilson's skill set. Play action heavy attack, vertical passing attack, opportunity for big time throws, for high grading, for chunk plays, right? That all plays to Russell Wilson. Is this going to be a situation where he still has enough of those plays or are they going to try to stretch it horizontally so much or get rid of the ball so much that they're going to leave some of those big plays on the table? I think that's going to be one of the uh, bigger storylines in the NFL this year as far as what the new system is. Is it playing to Russell Wilson's strength? Is it benefiting him or actually, uh, you know, maybe taking away some of his big playability?
1: And I think the fact that we still don't know what, like, how much of these things are impacting Wilson is a big ding against him compared with the likes of Rodgers or Mahomes or Brady or, you know, those kinds of things. We are still collectively, including the Seahawks, still kind of in the dark about like how good is wilson in any situation or how much do we need to take things off his plate
0: justin simmons has become the best all-around safety one of the best all-around safeties in the league uh he he had a breakout with 2009 uh, 19 season carried it over in 2020 great fit for what vic fangio does vic fangio to be to be fair there's a there's a pretty good history of fangio's safeties grading well yes so when you talk about scheme fits and all that stuff, sometimes you don't look at safety, but there's definitely certain certain schemes where safeties tend to grade well. But Simmons has been that guy, uh, plays the run well, playmaker. They A lot of 2 high safety looks that do play to his skill set pretty well.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, he's ostensibly a free safety, but he makes more plays in the run game than pretty much any other free safety you're going to find in the NFL. That guy ranks in the top 10 every year in terms of defensive stops. We, and he's like the only free safety in that list. Everybody else is like a a full-time strong safety in the box. Simmons is the one exception.
0: And let's wrap it up with Trent Williams. What an incredible season. He missed the entire 2019 season. Hadn't seen him since 2018. And he led the league in overall grade among tackles for the third time of, uh, in his career. Now, should we be looking at this and saying the three times that he did that were 2013, 16, in 20 and say, okay, well, Trent Williams would will be the best again in, what, 2024, 25? Uh, maybe he'll take a little break here, but, man, you know, it, it was he reunited with Kyle Shanahan, too. He had played in that Shanahan system in Washington years ago, and he just destroys people in the run game.
1: Yeah, I mean, his highlight reel in terms of just burying defenders is ridiculous. He had a couple of plays against the Cardinals where he just absolutely annihilated defenders. There was one that surfaced on Twitter again recently where like, just imagine being that linebacker because it's the 49ers, right? It's not like you know right. what's happening immediately. Like your, your read isn't instantaneous anyway. They're doing a bunch of stuff that means you have to like react and, and check your keys and figure out where exactly the, the play is going and the ball is going. So you're, you're, like, you're a linebacker. You've got that couple of the split second of hesitation of diagnosing all that and looking up and figuring out where you're supposed to be moving to. And then you look up and you just see this 300-plus-pound Mack truck steaming in your direction with a full head of steam, ready to annihilate you. And I, I can't remember who it was. It might have been, uh, might have been Isaiah Simmons, or it might have been uh, somebody in Arizona. Was yeah, it Hicks. It might have been Hicks. But anyway, like he he does Again, sort poor of poor
0: linebackers, man. Poor line. The hesitation
1: step, you know, figure eventually figures out where the ball is, and then you just see him, you know, head turns to where he's supposed to be. And at that point, Williams is like a yard away sprinting and is about to just bury him. Like, that's how are you supposed to? That's what linebackers have to deal with right now. And that's what Bobby Wagner has
0: to deal with. Before we talk to Bobby Wagner, quick reminder the College Football Preview Magazine is going to be out on June 28th. Is that today? Because we're recording this early. Oh, yeah, it's today. It's It's out today. That's what happens when you record early, Sam. A little inside baseball there. It's out today. 600-plus pages of analysis, the best returning players for all 130 college teams. Advanced scheme breakdowns, strength of schedule, and projected wins. It's our college football preview magazine over at PFF.com. Let's get to Bobby Wagner. Uh, We'll discuss how difficult it is for poor linebackers in today's NFL and uh, see how disrespected he feels at his number eight ranking on the PFF 50. We also anticipated a Bobby Wagner interview. We had Bobby Wagner. We had it slated. He backed out. He dropped the ball. So it's okay. We're going to get him back on here. But we did the entire episode teasing this Bobby Wagner interview that will not be there as part of the Monday episode. Yeah. So rather than going back to edit the episode, it's a lot of work. I mentioned it a bunch of times. It's called professional tease Hmm. in the business here, Sam. We're not going to go back and fix it. So you're going to listen to the Monday episode. And when I say Bobby Wagner is going to be there, just ignore it and just know he'll be there on a
1: future show. Of course, the people that are only listening to that show and not listening to this one aren't going to get your warning. we we'll put a disclaimer in the, uh, no Bobby Wagner <laughs> will be appearing not on the show. featuring Bobby Wagner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All we'll right. We'll do that. Or we'll put that.
0: like a timestamp in like where Bobby
1: Wagner doesn't show up or something. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, at one hour, 22 minutes, Bobby Wagner not appears. Right. Yeah. I think that's good. I like it. Um, we even
0: did a, an outro like so all mistakes should be fixed. We even said like thanks Bobby Wagner for joining the show. Yeah. That's
1: fake. Didn't happen. Never happened. Never came Yet. out. He'll be on later. It's a good thing we didn't try and like vamp and like talk about some things that Bobby said. Hey Bobby you said know? some interesting things, didn't yeah. he? Nope. Yeah.
0: Nope. No, didn't he didn't show up. Wasn't so here. uh we are the most professional podcast in the world. Well, this so is that's the how beauty we do it. about
1: just scratching the surface of professionalism. You don't have to go through all the hassle of like the proper yes. way to fix things. When expectations are low, Right you always you just see roll them. right on through it. All right, special thanks
0: to Bobby Wagner, our guest here, on and breaking down the PFF 50. Uh, again, we'll be back here on Thursday, breaking down the second half of the PFF 50 and everything you need to know about who just missed the list and who's going to be on the list next year. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you guys Thursday.